0: Listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So, hi, everyone, and welcome back to another amazing episode of Changing Reality. So welcome one, welcome all. If this is your first time watching the show, where have you been all our lives? This is the place to be, to be inspired. But anyway, this show is basically uh, brought to you guys by WQHS Radio. It's a show that is very special to my heart because it, we literally try our best here to help change your reality at the very least. So Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life. Who are in essence changing their own reality? So, we'll be hanging out through the show and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, industry experts, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world. Many from the Penn campus, many who are not, but bringing together the experiences from across countries, across spaces, so that we can open up our minds to see what the world has to offer. And by hearing these inspiring stories on how others are changing the reality around them and changing the way that not only they live, but the way the people around them experience things, hopefully we'll be able to pick up little nuggets of wisdom from their journey so that we can apply them in our own paths towards greatness. And I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of others. And I'm super passionate about learning how people are using those skills that they have, using those little things about themselves to change the world in their own capacity. And I believe that as we share these stories out there, as more people hear it, just the wealth of experience will serve as a platform to springboard us and inspire us to live life a little differently. And to show you how much I believe in the power of stories, how much it changed my own life personally, I actually personally founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance. So it started back in Malaysia, which is where I'm from. And today it's grown to collaborate with not just our Malaysian Ministry of Education, but MNCs, uh, global nonprofits and institutions from all across the world, across 28 different countries. And it provides an alternative education platform for any student out there who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them through hands-on experiences, and start their own careers while they're still in school that creates meaningful impact not just for themselves, but for those around them as well. And to date, we've worked with over 35,000 students in 970 communities, and have incubated countless number of student-run projects, social enterprises, and much more, run by students aged 8 to 25 years old. And the basis for all of that has been stories, has been kind people who are willing to take their time out to share with us what made a difference in their life, what were the ways that they actually excelled, and that has provided that springboard for our students. And I hope that this show, Changing Reality, is that same platform for you so that you, our audience, can also one day look back and say, hmm, I heard this person, I heard, I heard their story. It inspired me to live a little differently, gave me an idea, it clued me in. And that continuously hearing these experiences week after re- week put you in the right environment to excel in whatever it is that you're passionate about. So if you want more info on that, or if you have something that you want to talk about, you have a particular topic or session that you're passionate about, let us know in the comments and we'll try to take up as much of your feedback and try to take up as much as kind of like the stories you want to uncover as we can. So with that, Today, we have a very, very exciting episode for you guys. We have with us not only a student, entrepreneur, athlete, and someone who has made huge contributions to the startup scene in another Ivy League, but we have someone who didn't actually think that he wanted to be an entrepreneur from the get go. And yet, he has made strides in the field, not just for himself, but for the entire student body at, as I said, another Ivy League, Yale. So today, he we are speaking to not only the four, one of the founders of the Yale startup incubator, but also the current president of the Yale Entrepreneurship Society. So without further ado, let's bring Clark onto our virtual stage. So hi, Clark, how are you today?
1: Great, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Really, really excited to be here.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you haven't been having a busy day. You do so many things that I think that like, we're really honored that you just took your time to actually spend with us on the show.
1: No, this is great. It's a little bit of almost uh, kind of a reprieve. I I myself am starting to lose track of what's going on day to day. So it's it's nice to have a minute just to kind of sit down and almost unwind
0: oh no totally and I think the pandemic has made kind of like my brain worse where it's just scrambled all sense of time and space so now I things just <laughs> yeah then it's just like things are just happening in life I have no control over like when it happens so I agree with that but like thank you so much for being on uh, I know that when we chatted the last time one of the things that really really inspired me is that not only are you someone who is so like like who is actually an active member of the entrepreneurship space is helping others really discover that but you yourself didn't always start out as an entrepreneur
1: Right, yeah, that's that's spot on. Um, and it, it's funny, you never think it's going to happen, uh, to you until it does. And, um, I, I guess if if you don't mind, I can just sort of start, uh, I guess from the beginning. Go ahead, go
0: great. Ahead. What so, do you want to, where does your story start?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, I, I think it really starts back in uh, it was back in high school, I was committed to go play baseball at Duke University, which was very exciting. Uh, You know, big time baseball program. And uh, I showed up freshman year and I realized uh, Duke was an amazing place. Great school, really intense baseball program. And uh, I had this sort of concept of what my life was going to be like. You know, like every 18 year old, you think you have it figured out. Um, And uh, spoiler alert, I didn't. Uh, I thought I was going to go to Duke for four years, uh, play baseball, and then go to law school and just be like a a corporate lawyer until I roll over dead. Uh, And that did not happen. Um, I actually, through the pandemic uh, and a bunch of unique baseball circumstances that I won't bore you with, basically, I ended up, I, I did end up transferring to Yale. And sort of all through that process, it's crazy. It's like one piece just kind of fell into place after another. I just kind of got sucked into this startup with these two amazing. Um, at the time, they were seniors on the Duke baseball team, and I was just helping them do little stuff like, um, the, the the CEO. He he's a brilliant guy, but he he was uh, he needed help with some of the grammar on the, on uh, some of our our slide decks. Yeah, little stuff like that. And uh, as a history major, as somebody who loves to read and write, that was some value I could provide was just, hey, let me look through your slide decks and all kind of correct all the punctuation, all the spelling, all that good stuff. And uh, he really appreciated that. And f- sort of from there, we, we, we got closer and, uh, you know, it was it all became kind of a game of, of trying to add value in any way you can. Uh, and not to get on you know, a pedestal here, but I do think that that's a great uh, a great lesson that I wish I could go back and, and tell my younger self is, whatever it takes, just find a way to create unique value um, as a as a member of a team, member of a community. Uh, but anyway, so from getting involved with that startup kind of during the pandemic and while I transferred to Yale, I just got an email in uh, in my inbox from the Yale Entrepreneurial Society, and I was like, "Ooh, finally, my my chance to join a club! I've never done this before. I want to go to college and join a club like everybody does. Great." And, uh, you know, I submit my little Google application. I get on an, e- I get on a, an interview with Brihu, who was at the time the president. And I'm nervous. My hands are sweaty. I've got my little headphones on for the Zoom. And I'm like trying to think on the spot and trying to act super casual. Like, yeah, I'm totally an entrepreneur. I know exactly what's happening, uh, even though that was far from the truth. Um, but uh, luckily, I was welcomed into the club. And uh, I guess from there... Just sort of the same story back at the startup. I tried to find ways to create unique value within Yes, and uh, part of that was sort of building a network of founders within the community, and uh, thus the incubator was born. And then from there, it was just kind of a natural progression to be co-presidents with Brihu this last fall. And uh, since Brihu has gone to uh, go launch his own startup, um, Fable, and they're crushing it, uh, that sort of left me as as president of Yes this spring. So. So far, so good. I, I know that was a little convoluted, but that's basically how I how I got to where I am today.
0: No, amazing, amazing. And I feel like many people have this idea of entrepreneurship that you've got to be a certain like 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 a certain I don't know posh articulate person who can think numbers and think like the big picture. And you're just basically this perfect person. I definitely disappoint a lot of people when they meet me and say, <laughs> "Oh, you're an entrepreneur." Mm. Not not what I expected, in a sense. For you, kind of like. The, going in thinking that, okay, I was going to be a lawyer, I'm going to play baseball. um, I'm going to be a history major. I don't know. Like, did you just pick like the furthest possible thing from like the stuff that you were working on and be like, "Hmm, I want to try that. But anyway, when when you kind of like were starting to venture into this entrepreneur space, or at least in that early time when you were still reading slide backs and just helping out a friend, what was kind of like your frame of mind about entrepreneurship? And tell us a little bit more in depth about the story of you really uh, going through that process and starting to get into entrepreneurship for yourself
1: it's uh it's funny i'm sure i'm not alone um in in the journey but you you really you deal with a certain amount of imposter syndrome and how you cope with that is really important and uh, i kind of just leaned into the fake it till you make it um (laughs) and it's like you know i'm I'm, you kind of at first sort of uncomfortable uh you know if, if you're interfacing with the board or, you know, you, you're doing so much preparation just to not sound like an idiot, you know, just to have some baseline of like, okay, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, and, and I, I don't know if, if this answers your question, but there definitely is sort of a, a process of coming into your own and, and feeling comfortable, um, with your position, feeling comfortable, uh, with, with yourself and calling yourself an entrepreneur and. Um, it's, it, it comes with time and it, it was not a super comfortable process. Like I said, um, there are ups and downs for sure. And, and I think one of the, uh, a rule that's as, as true as can be is there's sort of, there's always, you know, somebody in the room knows more than you. Somebody in the room has a bigger check than you. Uh, It's very humbling to be uh, uh, in a community like this because you're constantly reminded um, that there is another level to strive for.
0: No, oh, no. Very, very true. And like battling through that imposter syndrome, like at what point did you realize that, you know, entrepreneurship is something that I want to focus on? Was there any particular turning point? Was it a gradual process? Or did you just one day say, I'm reading too much law and history that if I read another page, my brain will explode. I've got to do something different. What was the point that you decided to take a bet I on? Be- entrepreneurship?
1: The beauty of it is I don't think that they're they're mutually exclusive. I And, and I, I'll I avoid going on a whole tangent here about sort of founder archetypes and, and whatnot. But um, I, I think that there is room in my life to follow sort of my love of history um, and writing and, and all that. And also sort of go down the entrepreneurial rabbit hole. But to answer your question, um, I, I think there was a little bit of a flip. Uh, I guess it would have been sp- spring 2021. So kind of as the pandemic was going on, I flew down to Nashville where our offices were. And that I feel like over those, I guess it was probably about three months down there uh, that spring, that was when I kind of feel like I made a transition from just kind of like, Hey team, I'm here to help out with a PowerPoint here and there to like, actually feeling like, you know, having a, a position of leadership within a company and being able to make an impact Um, and, and that's when I sort of started to become more comfortable in my own skin. And that was also while the yes incubator was kicking off and, and realizing that it's not an exact science. You can bring in your own flavor. You don't have to be an econ major. Um, and that, you know, different people just like different flavors. Um, I think that's the best way I can put it.
0: No, very cool. Very cool. In fact, there was this article, I think, that was by um, Yale Daily News about you who actually took, I think, a break from your baseball semester or your baseball season last spring um, and, and decided to focus on your startup as well. I know that there was this whole backdrop of the pandemic, which probably made everything terrible in the sports world. But tell us a little bit about that decision and about how those that, that transition came for you.
1: Yeah, so there, there are a lot of moving pieces. And... I think what it came down to was I had to really sit down and think, what do I want from my Yale experience? And the cancellation of the baseball season made that decision all the easier because baseball was kind of out of the equation. So I thought, okay, well, what would a semester at Yale look like this spring? I'd probably be sort of quarantined in my my dorm for the majority of the semester. Um, I would have less time to work on the startup. I wouldn't lose a baseball season. I'd lose a year of eligibility or uh, you know, I had the luxury, which is a, a really fortunate thing to be able to take that semester off. And then subsequently this fall and earn back that extra baseball season buy myself, a whole nother, ideally COVID free um, year at Yale. And then also most importantly, be able to be in Nashville, be face to face with our CEO, get some real hands-on experience, interface with some investors, um, and, and that was honestly a, a really transformative, when I look back, just a, a transformative period of my life was stepping into a, a position of relative leadership kind of out of nowhere. Um, and for me, at least I was still kind of fresh off of, you know, I think back to my time at Duke and being in the locker room and just being a freshman and I, you know, I'm, I'm standing and I'm looking at a bunch of people that are six inches taller than me. They're all older than me. And, and, you know, you, you it takes a while to shake that feeling of being a freshman. And I think that last year was a a great time um, and a great opportunity for me to sort of come into my own uh, as a leader.
0: No, very cool. So you step on, like, let's resume back the story. You step into Nashville. You are now in this amazing leadership position at this startup, uh, uh, probably one of the first few ventures that you worked on. And tell us about how you basically, like what was the first few things that you actually did um, right from the get go in that startup, and what how did your role evolve, and what what was some of the highlights in that like period of time that made you you in a sense?
1: Yeah, and it's funny that you asked because my position was chief of staff, which is startup early stage startup code for made up title has to be a Swiss Army. <laughs> um, there's no like it, it sounds glamorous, it's not, and. Uh, I'm glad you asked because it's like, well, what does a chief of staff do? I'm not sitting around, walking around with my clipboard, you know, like. Right. That's not, that's not what it was. It was, uh, at first it was a lot of sales. Um, And that was, you know, I think that sales is a really important uh, and, and everybody would agree, but obviously an important piece of any early stage startup. But I think that if you have the opportunity, if you're a sophomore in college or you're finishing your freshman year and you're looking for a summer internship, trying to go into sales for an early stage startup, I think is an awesome experience to really understand kind of how the ins and outs work. But anyway, um, funny little anecdote here, our sales process evolved slash devolved in such a beautiful way, which was um, you know, I worked with my CEO to to concoct these super elaborate email campaigns and like, okay, we're going to go on HubSpot and we're going to curate this email list and we're going to, you know, phase it and A-B testing. And our, our, our response rates were low and uh, we were like, all right, what's going on here? And it was like, okay, okay, let's switch to personally emailing people. It's like, oh, well, that's too slow. And it's like, okay, let's message people on LinkedIn. Let's get, you know, let's get our hands dirty here. And that was a little better. And they were like, okay, let's do this. So one of our co-founders is like a little bit of a Graham Stinson. He's a little bit of a baseball celebrity and sort of especially the college sphere. And he's now with the Tampa Bay Rays. So I literally logged into his Twitter account and just started DMing uh, college baseball coaches, which was at, you know, at the time our market. So I, as a, you know, 19, whatever year old intern, I'm, I'm just like basically just sitting on the couch just ripping DMs, 40, 50 DMs a night on Twitter. And that became our sales process. And it was awesome. And, it, and that was the best success rate we had. Um, and so it, it wasn't logical. It wasn't what we had planned, but it was what worked. Um, and then, you know, as as my role kind of evolved, uh, something that was really rewarding was being sort of a, a mini team leader and kind of, not to get too technical, but implementing some Scrum methodology was a fun um, little business 101 lesson for me to learn um, and being able to lead small groups and sort of stick to a plan. Uh, that was really rewarding as well. Um, and like I said, uh, just to go back to the sales piece, I, I really can't recommend enough. Um, if you have the opportunity while in college to to get some sales experience at a startup, I, I think that's really important. Um, But yeah, I I think as my role evolved um, and then towards the end, I think a lot of it became uh, sort of just being the right hand man for our CEO. So whatever that means, if that means, hey, Clark, uh, I I double booked a meeting. I can't take this. I need you to sit down with this coach and and talk him through the product or whatever that looks like, um, just kind of sort of being at his service and, and whatever he needs help with.
0: No, no, I think that's amazing, and I and I especially love that story about sales because I feel like many times we have this very high level ideas of like how sales should be in a startup or how like things are going to plan out, and then at the end it's not the very complicated stuff; it's the most simplest things that you really have to, as you said, get your hands dirty, get on the ground, and do things kind of like. Like, like reach out from person to person. So I definitely think that, that that was like a very powerful story. And I'm sure that you have a million other stories from your startup experiences on, on kind of like having to, as you said, devolve a process to actually make it work and to actually get the results out of it what what do you think was some like or the hardest thing for you to do because some people would argue sales is tough some people would argue i don't know, regular communication is tough planning is hard what what was for you kind of like the most challenging thing that you faced and how did you kind of like begin to start looking at it differently
1: i honestly think one of the most challenging things uh for me which is ultimately what made it so rewarding was that sales process because I'm. Um, yeah, I guess at this point I was, I was 20 years old and I'm on a call and I look to my right and I have our 24 year old CEO. And then I'm on a call with a 45 a year old head coach of a division one program. And I'm thinking to myself, man, like, I hope I don't look like a kid, you know, and, and then you start overcompensating and your voice gets a little lower because you want to sound older. And, uh, it was just very uncomfortable for me at first. And, and the idea of kind of selling a product uh, was very alien to me um, because you do have to be able to push people's buttons. And it is sort of a tango and it's a dance. Um, but I, I, I really think that that was probably the most uncomfortable piece. And then also, you know, you have to be really familiar with the product. And we were working on a highly technical product and uh, knowing the ins and outs of that. Um, and, you know, to an extent, it's like, oh, well, this isn't my call to mess up. So, you know, ultimately overcoming that sort of fear of like, I, you know, I don't want to mess up this lead because, you know, Eli's going to be pissed or whatever. Um, and, and ultimately being able to take ownership over the product and the sales process were, we're two sort of mountains to climb. Um, but ultimately, like I said earlier, it's, it, it was a really rewarding thing to sort of have that fear and conquer it.
0: No, very, very well said. And I think the other thing that you said really well was the ability to take ownership because I feel something only really works when you take ownership of it, when you kind of like put that entrepreneurship mindset on drive and you really start looking at it as your business or your thing that you're working on. And that's right, when you start innovating, right. that's when you start iterating and that's when you actually eventually start to get the results. I also work with a lot of uh, aspiring entrepreneurs who before starting their own entrepreneurship career, go around and work in a lot of other startups to actually go and participate in things. And one of the things like I feel like they face is very similar to what you were saying is that it's not their thing. So it's either maybe they're not too familiar with it or they're afraid that they're going to mess up or the project that they're having is just so much beyond anything that they've ever done that the, the kind of like the responsibility itself is, is, is much more scarier than even just picking up the call and doing something. And many times I feel that fear itself is paralyzing or that fear itself gets you to make the mistake. So even if you were doing fine, that kind of like puts, some, puts a stick in the wheel and, and ends up like being the main reason that people fail. And then that affects your confidence that again has that negative uh, vicious cycle that makes you feel like maybe this isn't for me. For you in a sense how do you go about kind of like overcoming that fear and for for any aspiring entrepreneur who may be in that same space as you are as you were a while ago what do you think you could like your advice would be for them to be able to step back and really push aside all of the that that imposter syndrome that fear the things that they're facing and be able to take ownership in a sense
1: yeah i'm really glad you asked that uh because you know as you were talking uh, talking about fear and, and how it can be paralyzing um, I was thinking that, that there is the other side of the coin, which is that fear can really uh, bias us towards action. So <laughs> if you if you take on and this is a beautiful startup lesson that you can kind of extrapolate to the rest of life. Um, but if you take on incrementally increasing amounts of things that are, are frightening to you, uh, they become almost more and more palatable. And I know that's kind of abstract and wishy-washy, but really what that, what that looks like is increasing sort of that discomfort level at what you're just able to tolerate. So if, if the thought of doing a, doing a sales call with an actual potential um, qualified lead is terrifying, paralyzing, can't do it, then don't do it, Okay pull aside, you know, maybe not your CEO, if he doesn't have time, pull aside a senior sales leader and say, Hey, you know, can, can you give me 15 minutes to work on my pitch? And if that's something that makes you uncomfortable, go and do it. Okay. Because you know, you don't need to take five steps ahead, find a way to take two or three steps ahead at a time. Um, and, and if it's something you can bite off and, and chew and digest, that's something that you should do. Uh, so really the preparation, I think, and, and finding ways, um, to prepare yourself is, is ultimately the only thing that's going to make you comfortable. That being said, I want to put a big old asterisk on everything I just said, because I do think baptism by fire is sort of just part of the deal. Yeah. And uh, as much as it is awesome to have that kind of grace period to prepare and, and be, as I said, sort of incrementally more uncomfortable in a way that you can tolerate. I also think that there's huge value in just being thrown into the mix and having to figure it out because those are the, not only uh, are they valuable? They're also, they also make for the funniest stories.
0: No, I agree, I agree. I think the best start, one well, not one, not the best, but one of the best startup advice I've ever gotten is set yourself on fire and eventually you'll figure it out in a sense is that if, if if you are in the momentum and you, if you're not in the momentum, put yourself in there and then you will naturally figure it out. There's no way that you won't figure it out at the end. So right. Very, like, and, and I think that you at least made it a bit more palatable for people who are like already afraid of the fire. But I think that that's the first step in a sense. Tell tell us a little bit about now how you've kind of, like, transitioned into being the main person at Yale Entrepreneurship Society who's running the show as the president, like, without a co-president. Very sad. Um, And probably a lot of work for you. How did you go from kind of, like, um, a regular student in the club to someone in a leadership role? I know many people who are like, I'm going to try out for this club. I'm just going to sit there silently and look at uh, what I can learn. How do you really start growing and kind of like building yourself through that network?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got was to find somebody who's better than you. Find somebody that you want to be like and attach yourself to them. And that's effectively what I did with Brihu. I watched this guy operate and I thought, oh my goodness, I have never met anybody that works like this. He's the single highest functioning person I'd ever met. So I said, okay, without being so annoying that he kicks me to the curb, I am just going to try to weasel my way into every Zoom, every phone call, every FaceTime, everything I can with Brihu. I'm going to sort of work my way into the conversation. Um, and, and I just started picking up all these little habits and sort of cadences that... Um, Even today, I catch myself uh, sort of different shades of Brihu, And um, I I really, I I mean all that to say um, the impact that the leader of an organization has extends beyond sort of the immediate decisions that you make. It's also the people that you're leading are influenced. And uh, college is still a formative time in your life. And I think that a lot of my leadership qualities I actually got from Brihu, even though it was only basically a year where I was sort of under his guidance. Um, I, I learned from him every day. And I, I think that that also gave me kind of the confidence to to take over this position. Um, but yeah, really just having the luxury of being surrounded by so many incredible leaders that all have different styles, um, but, you know, particularly Brihu, I think is – is really what propelled me into the the president position
0: no i think that's the best advice anyone could ever give about entrepreneurship because i feel like coming into entrepreneurship there's so much greater there's so many things that personally i didn't know i still don't know and i feel like the, the the best cheat code on the planet is literally just following people around who have done it before, who are, as you say, kind of like the person you want to be pers- versus kind of like the person you are. And I think that so much of what I've learned and what I've, why I've able to like, like do is because of that. And only that in a sense, it's just yeah. because as you, you notice yourself kind of like mirroring the way they handle a meeting or mirroring the way they kind of speak to a lead. And that eventually you, you evolve into your own style as you kind of like get that experience. So it's kind of like this combination of, of learning from people and going out there and, and trying things out and that kind of like, builds you as an entrepreneur, I feel. And I think that that's very, very good advice to give. Tell us a little bit about maybe some of your early stories in the entrepreneurship club, how you actually started um, um, getting involved, making sure you drop in for those right Zoom calls and all of that. Because I feel like one issue one is that people, it's not that they don't know like who they want to learn from. It's just that everyone's kind of afraid to reach out. And they're just like, mm, you know what, they're probably busy and things like that. How, how did you go about that, in a sense?
1: That's great. I'm really glad you brought that up cuz that's another piece of advice that was another piece of advice I wish I could give my younger self and something that uh was a learning curve is how to communicate with people that you want something from. And for me, you know, I don't know if it's how I was raised or my high school experience or whatever it is, the thought of emailing somebody twice was like unfathomable. Like if 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 I emailed somebody and they didn't respond, I'd be like, "Oh no, like they didn't want to hear from me." And my time with Brihu absolutely pounded that out of my head. I mean, we had email chains where he would CC me and we'd try to be getting some school of management professor and just meet with them to talk about yes or ask for a resource or whatever it is. And I mean, they're honestly I, I, there was one thread that I remember where Brihu sent four emails. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, No, you're not going to send another one. And he's like, Yup. And sure enough, the professor responded, Oh, hey, Brihu, sorry, I, I've been busy. My bad. Like, let's connect later this week. And I was like, No way. And getting over that hump to realize only one of two things can happen. Either they say, uh, honestly, like, you know, thanks for reaching out. Uh, I'm not interested in which case, whatever. You didn't lose anything. Or they say, I'm so sorry. I meant to respond earlier, but I didn't. Um, and so that kind of, uh, getting over that immediate, uh, communication hump and realizing that it's okay to, it's okay to DM people on LinkedIn. It's okay to email people three times, four times. Um, that was really important, but, as far as kind of the earlier days of yes, uh, it was a lot of trial and error. So the way that this startup incubator, um, which was still probably one of my best experiences, and yes, was uh, I'm sitting around with Brihu, and I was on a, a three-person call. It was me, Brihu, and Eli, the CEO of of Statstack, the, the startup I worked with, and we're, we're we're kicking around the idea of a startup club. And we're like, hey, what if we had a, you know, just all the startups uh, in the community from Yale, whatever? What if we just had a club? And then we kind of we were like, yeah. And then we thought, well, what is the club gonna do? Like, what's the value gonna be? And then we were like, uh, okay, let's come back to it. And uh, through some kind of iterating and uh, ideating and and talking with founders about what would actually be helpful, the the, the startup incubator kind of uh, came to fruition and it actually evolved more into a community. So the resource that we were able, the the resources uh, and and value that we were able to provide to our startups um, in the Yale community was actually just having them meet each other and hear about each other's startups, because that was entirely lacking from the ecosystem. And it's, it's something that you take for granted, but having a startup can be a very isolating experience um, for any number of reasons. It's, hard you feel like you're venturing into unknown territory hopefully because nobody's done what you've done before um and you're oftentimes left wondering if you're the only person who's going through what you're going through and it's hard you know i think uh this is another tangent i'm gonna try to avoid but you know entrepreneurship is very much glorified but it's not super sexy a lot of it's just Difficult and gritty and, you know, doing the menial work that nobody else wants to do. But anyway, having a uh, being able to curate a community of a bunch of founders that are all kind of like minded in the sense of of going and and changing the world in some aspect or another, um, providing that for them was was ultimately our good to the community. Um, So being able to put together Zoom calls where they'd be able to pitch to each other to connect with alumni, to meet with investors and just cue in all these different avenues and channels of the ecosystem and sort of funnel it through this one centralized location. Um, That was really special, I think. And uh, I met a ton of amazing founders. A ton of uh, them are are still friends today. So that was kind of what the early days of, of Yes Leadership looked like for me
0: no no absolutely brilliant and i think that that idea itself of just having a community you're you're right it is it is like there's so much more that i feel like we can learn from each other than we can learn apart and i feel like we we grew up in in school which i will not go on attention on where we learn to compete with each other, where we learn that there can only be one person who who succeeds and all of that. But in the entrepreneurship world, that's actually not very true. Like, yeah, there is some like level of competition, but there is much more potential in collaboration, in learning from each other, and in, in sharing resources, and in, in tapping into the same experiences than there is if we go around competing over like or, or like who gets the best of this who gets the best resources so i think you definitely like that's a huge value add i feel to the startup community we should probably do something like that here in penn i'm like we have like we have an entrepreneurship club so definitely a good idea um what but one thing that, that like i feel like like coming out from that is many people they want to do something for the people around them they see a problem uh and they think that you know what like like in your case, there are lots of startups, how do we bring them together? How do we do something like like that connects them? But they don't take that step into making it something actionable or something that actually forms or or like solidifies into a solution. So it's just a lot of like, uh, yes, this is fun. This would be cool. Uh, We have an idea, but I'm busy with, I don't know, finals, or I'm busy with my own work, or I'm busy with kind of like my current tasks in a sense. So it's like there's a bit of a disconnect between like the ideas they have and kind of like the will to push it through and make it into something actionable. For you, in a sense, what enabled you or, or you and kind of like your, your team, your early leadership team, to be able to not just come up with that idea but push through it and eventually go to the stage of even getting um, uh, investors, as you mentioned, getting people to come in and speak, getting the resources pulled in because these are like easy things to look at in hindsight but would require a lot of work in those initial stages to get it rolling.
1: So you said something earlier that I thought was funny that I think actually answers this question really well, which was, you know, uh, if you're on fire, like you'll figure it out. (laughs) And I think the best, what we really did was we just made a bunch of egregious promises to (laughs) hundreds of people. We said, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do it by this date. And then it was like, oh, boy, we just emailed all these people saying we were going to do this. Like, no, now we have to go do it. So it was like, okay, this has to happen. Let's find a way. So the motivation was never lacking because I basically, you know, we put ourselves in a really precarious spot, which was either execute or look like an idiot, and you know, to everybody that you care about. So it's almost like we had no choice. Um, But, you know, I think the other piece there is, as far as setting it in action was realizing how many people want to help you know there was no shortage of folks who who kind of said uh they got at that point by saying basically hey uh you know you're not the first person who's reached out to me about this um go i want to see you actually go and do it right because there is so much talk of i want to change the community i want to go start this i want to found this But it's like okay now let's actually go and do it and if you want if you show me if you show me that you're committed to to doing this i will give you my time i'll give you my resources but it's important you know beyond indicating interest to actually show that you put in the time and that goes back to the piece that i said earlier you know it's one thing if if i email a professor and it's hey i have this club that i think is cool what do you think they're probably not going to respond but if I've emailed them four times, that's when they know that, like, okay, this kid's obsessed. All right, I just gotta shut him up. Sure, have fifteen minutes. Um, and I think that that was something that a lot of our, uh, you know, alumni and community members picked up on was uh, that these these kids were obsessed. We were obsessed and driven. And I don't know if it's because we had nothing else to do because of the pandemic, but it was like a truly captivating semester. Like, I'm gonna make this happen. I will move heaven and earth to make it happen. Uh, which is another sort of crucial startup piece is that nobody's going to do it for you, right? You just have to want it.
0: No, no, very, very well said. Tell us a little bit about the impact that you guys have now in the, like like looking at it as a whole, like the things that have come out of it and how your leadership position looks at looks like now, like, and the work that you do now in a sense. Yeah.
1: So I, I think that, that that answer has changed a lot over the course of the last... 12 months. And, um, one of the challenges that we ran into this fall was how can we have impact without being able to have like a traditional community of folks gathering, you know, uh, having typical speaker events where we're able to cram in 50 people into a room. Um, and so a lot of it, uh, a lot of it came down to, you know, and and this fall was great, but I think it got more transactional than I would have hoped for. And I think some of our our teammates would agree. You know, it was more, all right, you sign up for this and like, you'll increase your chances of getting an internship. Uh, and a lot of the feedback that we got was, you know, great stuff. But at the end of the day, like I came here to join a community of, of folks who have similar interests who I can learn from. And so a, a lot of what this semester and the spring, what we have planned is, is sort of revitalizing that community feeling that we had before. So, you know, the the function that we want to serve is yes, we want to be uh, a focal point for people who want to get an internship at a startup. Yes, we want to help people break into venture capital. We want to help people start and scale their ventures. But we also want to be a, a group where everybody is texting everybody where people are showing up to like hear their friends talk about stuff that they're working on, that they're excited to work on. Um, we want it to be peer driven. Uh, we don't want it to just be like, you know, ancient folks talking at you. Okay. And, and that's something that I learned a lot from one of, uh, from Jonathan Pierre, who, who, uh, you know, led the incubator with me last, last spring. And, uh, led the the second iteration of the incubator this fall was peer driven. uh, Mentorship is just invaluable. Um, But I guess to answer your question about what my current leadership position looks like, um, I I feel like I'm in a a good spot where I have such high functioning leader team leaders that a lot of it just kind of looks like more administrative stuff, kind of being the face of yes uh, in, in any capacity. Um, and you know, forming partnerships with other organizations, uh, putting on joint events, reaching out and interfacing with alumni who want to get involved. Um, but you know, I I think one of the best things that I ever heard from uh from my CEO Eli was never be too good to take out the trash. Um, and so. I think that's a really important, important piece is a lot of my work still looks like sending nitty gritty emails and, and cleaning up the website and doing LinkedIn posts. Um, you know, there's no shortage of work to be done. And I think that a lot of leadership starts with being willing to prove that you're able to do the menial stuff. And, and from there, uh, the people that you're supporting, uh, you know, they'll be able to draw some level of inspiration from that and, and, and do it themselves. But, uh, you know... Honestly, I think I have an easy job just because the the people that that are working within, yes, are just doing such a fantastic job. And, and our team leaders are just every day. They're so competent, They're so capable. And uh, the, the future is bright.
0: Very, very, very well said. And you, you brought up so many points that I think we can all learn from. One thing that I just wanted to focus on simply because I feel like such a good thing that people don't talk about is kind of like that, that that phase where things begin to cool down from the fire and, and things run smoothly in a sense. So there's no issues, nothing's wrong, but it's still not quite the thing that we, like we wanted to do. And I feel like so many people get caught up in that phase where you mentioned things get a little bit transactional, they're, they're, like things are within control in a sense. That, that is something that I personally faced with my startup a while ago. That's something that I see a lot of people tend to fall into where things are comfortable in a way. And there, there's no need to kind of like, like I don't know, run as fast as we ran in the beginning. There's no need to kind of like uh, push as much as we did. But, well, actually there is a need, But but that's what will make kind of like a difference to go to the next level. But because we kind of like are fall have fallen into this trap of comfort of kind of like thinking that we've got everything under control, we don't end up doing that extra steps to to those extra things that we did in the beginning that actually brought us to this level. for you, in a way, how did you begin, like, you mentioned, like, you were listening a lot to the feedback of what people were saying, and you were like, okay, how, how do we kind of, like, well, like, imple- like like solve what people are saying and kind of, like, take this differently? How did you begin kind of, like, wrapping your head around that? Number one, accepting the feedback, and I feel like what many people tend to do is just brush it off, like, oh, no, we can justify this in some way. How did you accept that feedback and kind of, like... like start looking at how you can step out of kind of like that because I think it's such a good thing that it's kind of like the second phase after you see like the set yourself on fire phase this is kind of like the second hurdle that is very important
1: yeah and the the interesting thing about uh, a student organization is that it's almost like a it's like a quasi startup it's it's sort of the intersection between student life and a startup which is exciting uh because it almost doesn't matter like what the organization is it could be a consulting club, but it's still entrepreneurial in a sense. And something, I'm really glad you bring that up because something that we ran into last spring was Brihu and I would just spin each other up a thousand miles an hour. Like we need to do this. We need to do that. Like we have infinite time. Like let's take this thing to the moon. Let's explode it. Let's make it go crazy. We got to scale, 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 scale. And that was just a constant pressure that we felt entirely self-imposed. Like there was no reason why we felt that, but it was like, okay, we have time on our hands. Let's make this thing as big and bad as it can be. But the element that we didn't take into account was a huge limitation that student organizations face, uh, faces is sustainability. So it's one thing to have a crazy semester where you email 10 billion people and have the world's biggest, you know, uh, membership, but like, At the end of the day, what matters is, is the continuity, which is, you know, how can we pass this on and leave it in the hands of the future president better than when I found it? And what we found is that that actually looks like turning back the dials 10, 15 percent. So instead of constantly focusing on how can we scale, make it bigger, bigger, actually shrinking, cutting some of the excess fat, thinking about what do we really care about, what's important and what will let this thing live forever? So. uh, it's exciting to grow an organization and, and it's exciting to be on fire, but I think it's also important to, to stay lukewarm. I think that there's something to be said for, for having something that doesn't feel like an unwieldy monster. And, and that's kind of what yes grew to feel like this at points this fall. It's like, this is too big. I don't like, I can't even wrap my head around it. Um. So being able to scale it back a little bit uh, and, that forced us to take a look at what we really care about. And, and ultimately what that came down to was uh, pretty simply put, basically innovation and community. Um, And so that's, that's really our emphasis for this spring and startups are different, right? So with a startup, I think it is important to have your hair on fire, you know, almost all the time. Otherwise somebody's going to come take your lunch, but uh, that's why a, a student organization is special. Is that, you know, you can't always be scaling because you will sort of reach that the those limitations.
0: No, I think very, very well said. And I think that there's a lot of value for people who run all kinds of organizations and not just student organizations when they're looking at kind of like making it sustainable and making it kind of like long lasting. I think you, you explained it really, really well. Um, Tell me a little bit about what's next for you. Tell us what's your plans, what's your hopes and aspirations, and what's next for the amazing world and journey of Clark that we'll have to uncover in our next interview a couple of years down the road, I guess.
1: If I've learned anything, it's, uh, it's that a plan can only get you so far. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I have some things in the, in the works, uh, and I'm sorry that I have to give you a politician's non-answer. Um, but I think I'd be foolish to sit here and tell you that I'm going to do this, this and this, because who knows? Um, I have, I've met some really amazing, uh, friends that I, I think I'd love to, you know, one day found a venture with here at Yale. And, um, like I said, I'm sorry to give you such a non-answer. Uh, but I think that, I think that entrepreneurship is, is definitely in the future and, uh, you know, yes has had an unlimited impact on the trajectory of my life. So, um, unfortunately that's, that's basically all I can give you at this moment, but.
0: No, uh, one of the best small answers I've gotten. It has some value in it. So I like it. Tell me also a bit about like, what, like, as we wind down the conversation in a sense, what do you think are the main few things that if you had to, I don't know, if you had 60 seconds to travel back in time and tell your past self something, what would be, like, the main three things that you tell them, like, actionable advice? Mm.
1: So the, the it's something that I alluded to earlier. The first piece would be find somebody that you want to be, like, and just attach yourselves to them. Pay attention to what they're doing, take notes. Um, the second, and this could be controversial, is cut out social media. And this is <laughs> a whole can of worms, a whole can of worms. I know we're wrapping up, but I think- Open that- it a
0: little, open it a little, we've got the right, time. Just a like- little bit.
1: I-, I think that there's so much excess uh, and-, and so much noise that comes with social media. And there's a lot of great stuff, right? Like, you know, we use social media extensively for marketing. Um, so there's, there's plenty of good in it. And I'm not one of these people who's going to tell you that social media is evil. Uh, but I think that as a high schooler, um, or as a young college kid, like you do not need to be spending an hour, two hours a day on Instagram. Like, it's just not making you a better person. So be very, I think that's a a roundabout way of, of my second piece of advice was be highly intentional about what's going to get you to where you want to be and go and execute. And I I find it hard to believe that social media will be a part of uh, a piece of that puzzle. Um, And I I think thirdly, and this is kind of a, a tough one to articulate, but just because something is sucky or scary or hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. In fact, those things, those qualities are never a reason why you shouldn't do something. In fact, if something is difficult and something scares you, you should probably go do it, you know, within reason, asterisks, use your judgment. But uh, I think it's really important to step outside your comfort zone. That really is the only way you're going to grow. And it's so easy just to kind of fade into the background and and kind of be a spectator through life. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're the one that has to, you know, look yourself in the mirror. And I think it's important that, That we take risks i think it's important that you utilize your time especially as a young person when sometimes the opportunity cost is a little lower to to go and and do something that you otherwise probably wouldn't do um and so yeah third piece of advice go and and do something that that scares you that you think will make you a better person
0: no no i really like all three of those and i think. I don't know. I feel like every student entrepreneur should just watch this as kind of like a PSA before they they embark on the adventure or whenever it is. Because you just gave like, like really, really hard hitting advice that I think addresses many of the issues that I faced as a student entrepreneur, that I've seen student entrepreneurs face and that I can foresee some of them would be facing for at least some time to come. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. I had so much fun talking to you and I hope that you had fun talking to us as well.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, this was awesome. Really appreciate it.
0: All right. How can we get in contact with Yes? How can we find out more about the work that you guys do or follow up with you on the stuff that you're working on and be your loyal fans for the rest of your entrepreneurship journey or your baseball career?
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so yes at Yale.org. That's Y-E-S at uh, Yale.org. Um, that's our website. we keep it mostly up to date and then also I think probably the best way to follow everything that's happening is um the Yale Entrepreneurial Society on linkedin that's where we post uh most of what's happening a lot of events and and whatnot um so that's that's probably the best way to to keep tabs on what yes is up to all
0: right. Cool. Well, thank you so much once again for being on the show. To our audience, thank you for listening. Um, If you liked today's episode, make sure you give us a little like, make sure you tell us in the comments, share your love so that we can convince Clark to come back as a speaker for another one of our events. But thank you all for watching. And I really do hope that you learned as much in your own journeys and that you can take the stuff that we've been talking about and find a way that you can not only think about changing the world, but actually start working towards the ideas that I know are going to make a difference. So thank you guys for joining us today and see you guys next time again every Thursday at 10 p.m. ET and whatever time that is around the world. Till then. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.